friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Okay, Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Live from the Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto, this is Tim and Friends for Wednesday, June 23rd. Not tape, but live every weekday for your viewing pleasure. I'm Tim McAuliffe. My guy, Jesse Rubinoff, is with me as always as the Habs unbelievably are one win away from the Stanley Cup, or at least the Stanley Cup Finals. Another impressive performance from the Habs who don't care if you believe. They believe and their fans believe. And the ghosts and the gloria seem like they are back. Series shifts to We the North. O-U-I the North. On Cornfoy, Game 6, tomorrow night in Montreal. And we will have two and a half hours on Tim and Friends. A full 30 minutes of bonus coverage to lead you in tomorrow Hopefully, there will be no live translation for my sorry ass tomorrow. But if there is, if there is, we've got you covered because those are the lengths that we will go to to make sure that you're in the know. That's tomorrow, today. We examine how in the good name of Matthew Dandano we have arrived at this point. Sebastien Morin, is that the most francophone slash Quebecois name that I could think of? Do you have anything better? I have something better. Rogastien Vachon. Oh, that's just Rogi Vachon. Rogi. It's Rogassier. That's his real name. Rogassier Vachon? Vachon. Close enough. I love his cakes. Either way, I know there have been arguments about how likable this team is, but if you can separate yourself for just a second from your allegiance, from your rivalries, what a great story this team actually is. We will examine those stories with Jen Botterill, Kenny Reed, and Jesse Rubinoff coming up. They are among the friends today, as is Bobby Webster, though. That might be a tad presumptuous, a little overconfident, but I know you don't care. He's joining us, GM, Toronto Raptors. That's because great news for the Toronto Raptors fans as the NBA draft lottery dropped some balls in the Raptors' favors. They moved up from... Careful how you say that, Timmy. As they moved up from 7th to 4th in the draft, and a draft where that seems to matter a lot. Raptors general manager Bobby Webster stopping by during the next 60 or so minutes to discuss what exactly that drop means. And as if that weren't enough, in the only show in Canada that can seemingly slide seamlessly with some knowledge from the NHL, the Habs, the NBA, the Raptors, and the Euros with relative ease euro 2020 in 2021 just closed out the group stage with some absolute madness four games today james Sharman, craig forrest are going to be by to discuss exactly why sid sixero is taking a huge deep breath right now and only right now because portugal is going to get belgium today's results were absolutely insane we'll give you a full breakdown of what it means in the round of 16, we'll get in to it with the boys. Second hour of today's show. And how about those Jays? Three in a row. Bullpen even looked good last night. And that's not even close to the biggest story in baseball 
as the new sticky stuff rules came into effect and quickly turned into a debacle that had Major League Baseball turn to the NHL after their struggles with officiating and say, hold my beer. We'll get to the pant-dropping debacle that was Tuesday night in the bigs with ESPN's Jeff Passan, which should be a ton of fun, like this is going to be. Entertaining on Twitter and Instagram and an absolute pain in the ass for anyone watching that game on TV or at home or in person. All of that stuff coming up within the hour with our guy, Jeff Passan. But mon dieu, even with the pants dropping, there is only one place to start. And that's with the Habs, Jesse Rubinoff. And first things first. First things first. Well, Timmy... June 23rd, here's what everyone's talking about today. Nice. And to quote Bob Cole, oh, baby, oh, baby. Things are getting real in Montreal after a convincing 4-1 win in Vegas last night. The Habs are one win away from the Stanley Cup final, something nobody predicted. Now, Timmy, are you starting to believe in the Montreal magic? Hell yeah, who isn't? I am. You are. Uh, of course. Do you remember when folks were simply worried that the Habs wouldn't make it to game six to allow fans in the stands for the first time in over a year in mm -hmm. Canada? Mm -hmm. Do you remember that point? Because it is, is it so far gone and so ridiculous to think of at this point. It, listen, every single person that was asked at Sportsnet and ESPN who would win the series between Toronto and Montreal, picked Toronto. When we got to the second round and the Winnipeg Jets, Sid Sixero came on this show, said it looks like they're going to get swept by the Jets. I think it was on ESPN. We, thankfully, at Sportsnet didn't ask our experts to pick again. ESPN, it was 12 of 13 picked Winnipeg to beat Montreal. Vegas, it was the same thing. And this is what makes sports so amazing to me. That the Montreal Canadiens are here. The ghosts, the gloria, whatever you want to point to, they've earned every step of the way. For, it's Okay, Carey Price has been unbelievable. But it's not just Price. Nope. It's the whole, t all four lines, sacrifice. Like, this, I know... Bosses and coaches, they'll go grab Aristotle's quote about the sum of the parts being greater as a group. I don't know how the hell the thing goes. I think I wrote it down here. <laughs> yeah, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Right, got it. Got that's it good. been the exact thing that has got Montreal as part. And I'm like, that doesn't happen in real life. No. But in sports, it happens, and when it does, it's glorious. And for Montreal, it has been every single piece. Kids, veterans, both of them contributing around the same. Cole Caulfield, Jesperi Kakanyemi started the playoffs in the press box. And now you couldn't imagine, KK gets him on the board yesterday. You couldn't imagine them without him. Like, it's unbelievable every step of the way. And Vegas is really starting to get frustrated, and you can really yeah. tell. Like, Elliot did a great a great job during the intermission yesterday showing Mark Stone smashing his stick yep. on the poor back check on the Caulfield goal. Marcia So shaking his head after a missed opportunity. Pete DeBoer beelined for the room after the second intermission. Yeah. He's like, they're at a loss. They don't know what to do. They can't figure out the power play. And the Habs, it's almost like they beat the Leafs. 
And then there was this buy-in from everybody. It's well, like, there was a, wow, there, we can really do something here. There was a conversation. Here, here's the... I don't know if we've talked about this conversation enough. Mm -hmm. The veterans in Montreal asked the general manager for help. He went out and got help in the form of Toffoli and Josh Anderson. And then down 3-1 to the Toronto Maple Leafs, the veterans again spoke up in a meeting and said, we have no idea how many times this will present itself. We have to buckle down and do something. And the team since that point is 10-2. Like, they believe, they bought in, they've done everything they possibly need to do to get these wins, and it's amazing how quickly the person... Like, every piece of adversity thrown at them, they may have played their best two games yeah. without their head coach, who's sitting at home with COVID. Yeah, no doubt. They quieted a usually raucous crowd in Vegas. Like, they're just, they're blanketing the Vegas Golden Knights. They and nobody saw that coming. They dominated game four and lost. Yeah. They dominated game 5 in Vegas and looked full marks for every and improved to 7 and 2 on the road. Like every step of the way, they every challenge that's been thrown at them, they have unbelievably risen to mm -hmm. the occasion. So and, I think yeah. Go ahead. So yesterday we were talking about Leonard and Flurry and yeah. who was going to get the start. I think we both thought Leonard was going to get the start. Then yeah. Sean McKenzie came on here said all signs are pointing to Flurry. Ends up being Flurry. Can't blame him for the loss last night, but who starts in goal for Vegas in game six? It doesn't matter. He didn't look great, though. No. Like, let's be honest. Like, I'm not going to blame him for the loss. Montreal dominated the game. But as we've seen, the two previous games where the team offensively that dominated the most lost the game because of the goalie stole it. And Marc-Andre Fleury didn't steal it. I, listen, I don't know where they're going to go because I've been wrong twice in a row on where they would go. Uh, I just believe that whoever gets the start in Montreal, if they win, has to get the start in Game 7. And they can't be playing this game anymore. Uh, Robin Leonard looked good in his one start. Mark andre Fleury, I'm t I don't think he looked terrible, but he didn't look great last night. No. I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that Pete DeBoer made the decision because of rest. Like, really, what CJ said yesterday. Like, he said to the media, I decided to sit Fleury because of rest. And it almost as if he was always committed to Flurry playing in game five. Like he knew for sure, regardless of how Leonard performed in game four, he was going to go back to Flurry in game five. And then that might have backfired ultimately. Winning cures everything. And I have the perfect example of how winning cures everything. So when the Leafs lose and we do the Leafs funeral show on this <laughs> very network, yeah. a lot of people writing in were talking about how Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, the Leafs' first line, whoever was playing with them, didn't do enough to beat the Montreal Canadiens. A lot of that. And they were hated on because mm -hmm. of it. In those seven games, just Marner and Matthews combined for nine points. Their first line had nine points, not even counting whoever was on that wing. The first line of the Montreal Canadiens through a combined 43 games, Gallagher, Lettinen, and Deneau. You know how many points they have? It says right in front of you, nine. They have a grant. This is the perspective of winning cures all. The Leonard, the Marc-Andre Fleury, the every piece of this team in Montreal contributing. That's all the perspective you need. 100%. 
That first line has nine points, and they're one win away from playing in the Stanley Cup final. Everybody has bought in for the Habs. Jen Botterill and Ken Reed coming up. We'll have much more to talk about when it comes to the Habs and Golden Knights, that's for sure. Corey Perry. Corey Perry. And Eric Stahl have just as much to do with the Habs Great getting pass. to this point yeah. than any forward on this team. It's crazy. That Perry pass on the Caulfield goal. Like he just knew he was out of gas. He's like, let's go back <laughs> in to Cole. Where's the kid? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, to the NBA we go. The Suns have a 2-0 lead over the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. And this was a ridiculous finish in Phoenix last night. No Kawhi, no Chris Paul once again. And it was an ugly game down the stretch. But after one of several late reviews, the Suns had a chance down one with 0.9 seconds remaining. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! executed play guides it in beautifully DeAndre Ayton with the biggest shot of his life it was like pandemonium was it a shot uh, Mike Breen is a hall of famer was it a shot the biggest shot of his life or was it just a direction like what the hell it's an alley-oop do you can an alley-oop as a shot like any at any other point of the game probably counts in the the box score so give it to him. I guess in the old school, they used to call it a dunk shot. That, so, <laughs> right? that thing was so close to touching the backboard in the pass from Crowder. Like, it, like centimeters away from touching the backboard, and that game is done. But it makes its way to Aiton, and he was a beast. So who drew up that play? Whose idea was that? Like, what, what's, what's the deal <laughs> uh, with that play? You're setting me the up value. for this one. As, as a huge fan of Canada basketball, uh, it took a while to find. Yeah. But Tyson Chandler, who had the Valley Oop 1.0, if this is the Valley Oop 2.0, mm-hmm. gave full credit to one Jay Triano, who said to him in practice one day that there's no goaltending on an out-of-bounds play. Crazy. They looked it up. Three weeks later, Tyson Chandler had the exact same alley-oop in 2017 to force a game to overtime. So if we're going to give credit... Tyson Chandler, Jay Triano, Canadian Connection. Yeah. How many coaches in the league, do you think, and, and players, didn't know that rule? Like, I think that was the benefit of having Jeff Van Gundy on the broadcast last night because right away he knew the rule. Right away. And I was like, wait, that's, that's offensive interference, I, right? I'll say this for Breen knows all the rules yeah. and Van Gundy knows the rules. One of the things that I was most shocked by when I got into this business was how many players playing the game don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. And if I were a coach at that level, I would sit down with every player and just get a grasp of how many rules they actually know. Definitely. One thing I want to get your take on, the end of the game, we mentioned how crazy it was. Part of it was because the timeouts and the oh, replay reviews. Ridiculous. Like, it was an absolute joke. There were four timeouts, five replay reviews in the last two minutes. Uh, it took seven minutes of real time to play 8.4 seconds of basketball at the end. So... What does the NBA do about this? Because just as a viewer watching this game, it was painful at the end. The last 90 seconds of the game took 33 minutes of real time. That cannot happen. The the NBA has to figure out a better way to do this. And one of the ways to do it, in my mind, is simply for the referees to trust the replay center. And for the replay center, just... I mean, we've seen it in college football a little bit, where they will... Just call in and tell Mm -hmm. the officials what happened. So instead of going, asking the truck to rewind, play it forward, can you rewind it a little more? Nah, none of that. 
trust New York, trust Toronto, trust wherever college football goes because it escapes my mind. For I think they just go upstairs and have someone who is an official make a determination, 100%. even if you have to put them on camera. Yeah. But that's basketball had a problem before instant replay with how long the end of games took. Definitely. 90 seconds took 33 minutes. It's an absolute joke, and the NBA was let off the hook by that amazing play. DeAndre Ayton, by the way, who has grown into a wonderful, efficient all player. All over the place. Who is making night. people rethink what big men can actually do. Yeah. This was the year of the big man with Joel Embiid and Jokic being far and away, mm -hmm. the two picks for MVP, and Ayton's turned into a player. Um, which I was saying last year in the bubble, look out for Phoenix. Yeah, he's no joke. Add Chris Paul, man, they're a good team. So, yeah, you said it. Chris Paul, he is coming back for game three. At least those are the reports. So are we looking at another uh, Suns and four type situation <laughs> here, Timmy? Because you're adding the point guard we, to a team that's up 2 nothing in we, the West Final. I mean, we'll wait for Kawhi Leonard news. But, yeah. yeah, this. I mean, we might see more of Suns and four guy. Uh, all the way to the NBA Finals. Like, that guy is going to, that 15 minutes of fame is going to be like 35 minutes of fame if they make it to the Finals. Yeah, do we want to see it? We want to see little Suns in four action? We have it? Yeah, let's do it. Household name. He was, he was right on Suns and four. He could be right on Suns and four in this one, but I will say this. The Clippers have come back from 2 nothing down in two straight series. Yes. So Don't have Kawhi this time, though. Slow the roll that's just a, yet. Yeah, don't have Kawhi, but that's, uh, that's a great point. Okay. Fred Van Vliet, there's a reason you send him to the draft lottery. Because he comes up clutch, and he did it again <laughs> last night. The Raps moved up. He was just sitting at home. I know, I know. It's a narrative, okay? It's just right. a narrative. Okay. The Raps moved up three spots from seventh to fourth. The Pistons, Rockets, and Cavs grabbed the first three picks. And this is obviously massive for the Raptors because everybody was talking about the top five in this draft. I would even say the top four, probably just a little bit better than five. So what's your biggest takeaway from... The lottery last night. Uh, we the fourth is a is a great headline. I love it. Headline writers yeah, here. Nice uh, full credit on that one. I will give. It. Uh, this is a little bit of karma for an absolutely horrendous season that started with having to find a new home, building a practice court in a hotel, <laughs> then having COVID ravage the team, having to play through all that. Like, it seems like... I, didn't, I don't think that most Raptor fans thought that they would get number one, but number four is a real big oh, number, yeah. especially in this draft. Not only did you get Chris Bosh there, not only did you get Vince Carter there, but when you look at this draft, it gives the Raptors a lot of options. And last night I played out the game where it ended up being Jalen Suggs. If Mobley goes second and, of course, yep. Cade Cunningham goes first, Mobley could drop to the Raptors and address a need at big. And... The other part of the equation, and we're going to talk to Bobby Webster a little later on, but uh, Jalen Green is another guy who a lot of people really, really, oh, like really his like. His videos on YouTube, like he's got all the NBA moves already, the step backs, the, the hardened side steps. Right. He's an elite, elite scorer. He is a highlight reel yeah. type of guy, whether or not that translates to the NBA. The G League throws another wrinkle. But I'll say this. Not only do the Raptors have a great selection spot for whoever drops to mm -hmm. them there, think of that as a trait chip. 
Like, if you want to add a quality big man to this team, whatever the future of Kyle Lowry ends up being, that's a huge trade chip, too. There are so many options for this Raptors team. Just another opportunity to be- believe in Masai and Bobby. And, of course, you mentioned it. Bobby will be on the show just a little bit later. I'm sure we'll talk about the lottery just a little bit. Will Masai be around to believe in? Is there a new deal that I don't know about, no, Jesse? No. no, but I think uh, the fourth pick certainly helps. Gives oh, him a little bit of a little bit of leverage. Right. Still to yeah. come. <laughs> Jeff Passan on the debacle we saw in the major leagues last night. Always a debacle when Ken Reed is on. He'll jump in next segment. Jennifer Botterell with the Habs. One win away from the cup final. Plus Raptors GM Bobby Webster after they moved up to fourth in the NBA draft. Knockout stage at Euroset. James Sharman, Craig Forrest, jam-packed show. It's Tim and Friends on a hump day. Hi, Kenny. Corey Perry's in. Here's Perry across. Scores. Cole Caulfield. One win away from the Stanley Cup final. And he swings and hits it hard to left field, and this ball is down. The Blue Jays have the lead here in the ninth. He was a, a little bit heated there after the performances. He's immediately thrown off the belt, the glove, the hat, everything. First full throwdown yeah. with umpires on a substance check. They're going to check Max here in the middle of an inning? I'd have to be an absolute fool to actually use something tonight. Max Scherzer, as the inning ended, gazing over toward the Phillies' dugout. Then Joe Girardi came up and said, come on over. It was suspicious for me. I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. the best of seven is now a best of three. The Canadians and Golden Knights each two wins away from a berth in the Stanley Cup final. Sit back and enjoy game five. Got Kinyemi ahead. Rebound. Scores! And the Canadians have the icebreaker. What a pass by Suzuki and Eric Stahl makes it two to nothing. Breakaway. Corey Perry. A drop pass. They score! Cole Caulfield! You could make a case this has been the Canadians' best performance of the playoffs. In front, Prince across, and as big a stop as he's made tonight, empty net, Nick Suzuki says good night. The celebration's on in Montreal. The Canadians beat the Golden Knights here. One win away from the Stanley Cup final. One went away. Ken Reed in studio. Not sure what's more swarming. Kenny Reed coming into studio. Hurricane Kenny Reed. Yeah. Rolling into the studio or the Montreal Canadiens over the last two games. Even though they got the result only in the last one. A whirling dervish, you called yes. it when I walked in here. Yeah, it was a whirling dervish. Habs are a whirling dervish, You're man. You're talking it's awesome. to Sebi in Fringlish. We're yeah. having <laughs> conversations about what the Habs are doing. Like, yeah. it's... It's kind of crazy, no? It's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely incredible. Sit back, enjoy, soak it up, you know, breathe it in. Doesn't happen every year. I love seeing the people out on the streets of Montreal just rock and rolling because we're all due for some rock and roll. And they're playing, I would say, close to perfect hockey. That game last night was close to perfect. Uh, if you're Vegas, I mean, there's no room. You, there's just nowhere you can yeah. go. There's no chance to get going on the rush. Montreal is just playing some fantastic hockey. I think I finally flipped the script on the way I looked at the Montreal Canadiens in game four. Mm-hmm. Because they completely dominated Vegas. Yeah. They lost the they game. They still lost, yeah. And that happens in hockey. We've seen it. 
time and time again, a goalie can steal a game. But I didn't think the Habs had it in them to completely dominate a team as yeah. good as Vegas. And when I saw that, I told Sebi in here, like, all bets are off for me. Like, yeah, and I've been pretty, I've been pretty high on the Canadians for most of this, right? I thought the Leafs were a better team. I thought the Habs played a stronger, tougher, greasier, more willing to sacrifice game, and yeah. that's what was the yeah. difference in that series. And then obviously against Winnipeg, they just took it to the Jets without Shifley. But what I saw in the last two games, like they outplayed what many people thought to be the best team in the league, maybe outside Tampa. They've gone from Carey Price has to steal every game to complete. Like to limit Vegas to what, 27, 26 shots last night. Mm. Beyond impressive. I seem to recall a certain slightly overweight sportscaster, not named Sid Sixero, who at the start of the season said Montreal Canadiens. He's no longer a sportscaster. Montreal Canadiens are built (laughs) for playoff hockey. But I didn't see them uh, just playing this complete, you know? And I I And losing Petrie and losing their head coach and maybe playing their two most dominant games without their head coach. Like. Every step of the way, they've answered the bell. Storylines are amazing. The 93 comparisons are amazing because that was a, a team, obviously, their, their best player was Patrick Waugh. They catered to Patrick Waugh, I would say, without a doubt. Canadians' best player is Carey Price. They cater their game to Carey Price. They get that early lead, and then, you know, they rely on Carey Price. Those last 10 minutes last night, it was just off the glass out, off the glass out, yeah. off the glass out. It was ugly. It was effective. And uh, if you're a Canadians fan, it's beautiful to watch. Uh, I mean, it's not... Run and gun hockey, run and gun hockey doesn't work at this time of year. Montreal's playing just the way you're supposed to play. Right, they're they're playing that game, and I always say it: hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Absolutely. And this team is the epitome. Everyone's of, doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the New York Islanders are doing it, but it looks like yeah. Tampa well, is Tampa's doing it too. They are. I like when Elliot calls the Canadians Islanders light, and that's kind of what they are. And I did research for you today because you oh, always say you enjoy when yes, I come yes. in. When you come in with your sheet of paper, uh, you get. Some writing on the sheet of paper. Uh, what what are the right. research today? So, I, scrap piece of paper. Scrap piece of paper, yeah. yeah. That's last night's copy, my A's <laughs> Rangers highlight. So I reached out to a couple of guys on the 93 Habs, and I, and I was just messaging with them, and I said, what's, aside from the obvious, the, the goaltending and the old guys, young guys chipping in, what's, what am I missing here? What is, what is something you can tell me? And they both said, well, we, I know it's obvious, but we have to start with the goaltending, right? Because right. wah price, price wah. Uh, one of the guys told me if – that he thought the Canadians were just a terrible team this year as far as turnovers went. He said they've obviously addressed that. They're not turning the puck over. He said in 93, if you turned it over, you didn't play. Right. Like Jacques Demers, you just weren't playing. You turned the puck over, you didn't play. Says they got a coach they'll go through the wall for. Obviously, Dominic Ducharme's going through a lot. If there was one coach who could connect with players, it was Jacques Demers. So they got that going. Uh, I reached out to Gilbert Dion. He said, I was 21 when we won, and yeah. I, I was just having so much fun. And I was just I had this... Ultimate confidence, and he says he's seen that. You know, Kakaniemi, Suzuki, Caulfield. I mean, Kakaniemi and Suzuki are on the podium last night. They're 20 and 21. Uh, One of the media members says to Suzuki, can you talk a little bit boy KK's playing? You can see Kakaniemi kind of smiling, not not (laughs) doing the old grizzled vet thing. And I thought, these are kids. Yeah, They are having fun. And I thought that was... uh, you know, just just an amazing thing that that the word fun was stressed by by Gilbert Dion, who won in '93. In and we forget this is supposed to be fun, and these players, they really, you know, should be having the time of their lives. You know, and and it looks like they are. 
Something unforgettable. Mm -hmm. uh, Suzuki has 20 points in 26 Stanley Cup playoff games. He's 21. Caulfield and Kuck and Yemi, like my favorite part of this is they began the playoffs in the press box. Amazing. Right? Amazing. Like, like it's unbelievable. They're now 7-2 on the road, and the penalty kill is still plus one. The, the PK, they've gone 12 games in a row without giving up a, a shorthanded goal. I mean... I think every year we say, well, if special teams are cooking, you'll have a chance. This is special teams are just nuts right now. This is Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen cooking. This is tasty stuff. It's 28 consecutive kills over 12 games. It's the longest streak without allowing a power play goal in a single postseason in NHL history. Incredible. Uh, right. Power play goal started to be tracked in 1933-34. He's going to score with a man advantage. And the best part of this <laughs> is that they've scored four shorties. Yeah. So they're plus one on the penalty kill. It's insanity. That's insane. I yeah. love when they get the uh, puck and they're shorthanded. It's not just back to my old midget C, slap it down the ice, right? They actually kind of have a look around. They say, there's a little room. I'm going to, you know, bring bring it on, force the play. That's how they're, they're scoring shorty. It's 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 pretty incredible to be plus one while shorthanded. And it's also pretty incredible that you score two goals and you win. And that's what they do. That's Gary the Price. What are they, 9-0, and oh, I think, when they when they score two or more or something like that? I, I want to uh, I want to say 9-0. Yeah, it's 9-0 yeah. when look at scoring. That. Told when, you I did research. When, <laughs> When scoring three or more, they're nine and zero in the twenty-one. Right. Uh, when they're two plus, uh, they're ten and zero in the playoffs. Wild. And since twenty fifteen, they're eight and zero. Excuse me, eighteen and zero when scoring three or more for Carey Price. It's it's amazing the the similarities with ninety three though. It, it I mean it writes itself. The regular season ninety three team was a heck of a lot better than this team. This team was what eighteenth in the regular season. Yeah, I mean there That's are crazy. some there are some injuries that this team got hit with midway through the year, and then going into the playoffs, we were wondering who was going to be healthy, who wasn't going to be healthy, and I think that kind of slid them down the podium a bit because they did have that wonderful start to the year. It's just that we're so used to watching Montreal Canadian teams get off to great starts and then poop the bed yeah. that I think everyone wrote them off this year. If they make it to the final, the Stanley Cup final, and there's no guarantee there is. It's amazing the momentum eh, and the storylines, how yeah. they alter from game. Yeah, Do you want to go to game one and drive to Montreal in a minivan with me? <laughs> Why does it have to be a minivan? Because game one, yeah. 1993, me and some buddies, led by my good pal Sandy Mackay, oh, took no a way. minivan from my hometown, which I won't message because I'm sure it's on the Tim and Prince Car bingo card. Uh, a Dodge Caravan. Caravan, Dodge yeah. Caravan. Aerostar, maybe in a Ford Aerostar. No, it wasn't the age of the Aerostar. That was no. after the age of the Aerostar. <laughs> but we drove a Dodge Caravan yeah. from my little hometown to Montreal for game one. Guess what we paid for scalper tickets for game one of the 1993 funnel? Scalper, secondary market. Uh, hundred bucks a piece. Hundred bucks a piece. Wow! Uh, to give yourself, a, yeah. Uh, yep. yeah. So Jesse, the nineties were this time in the last. <laughs> they were a wonderful time. Would have been game three, right? No, it was game one. One and two were in Montreal. Oh, this year would be game three. Excuse me. Oh, right. okay, yeah, that's yeah. right. So yeah. want to get a minivan and go? <laughs> That'd be I, a good documentary. Did we just film it? Like, yeah, I, I don't know if you know this, work but to pay for it. I do have a show that I work on. <laughs> yeah, this is really good. <laughs> do it remotely now. It's 2021. Do it yeah. remotely, exactly. You can travel uh, from Dobbs, Ontario to Quebec. Uh, Sanzi, I, I may be out of the loop for. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, the producers are asking if they can fit in the minivan. <laughs> sure they can. It's a minivan. It's a minivan, man. We'll get it sponsored. We'll go. Let's do it.
I'm Let's down. do it. I'm selling it right now. I will work for free for you again if we can go to game one, <laughs> game three, whatever game it means. All right. But so, you got to get there first. It's amazing today how so many people are kind of saying. What do you think so. we pay for those tickets? Oh, well, what do I think work would pay for them? Because I'm not paying. <laughs> uh, they will be expensive. I, so I, love, I will work for free, but work is paying for the <laughs> <laughs> wearing the suit that work paid for. Yeah. Kenny Reed in studio. He's sticking around. When we come back, crazy scenes in baseball last night. Kenny and Ivanka. I love for this. It. Umpires trying to enforce the new sticky substance. You love the highlights. Yes. If you were actually at the game or watching the game in real time. I still love it. No I'm going to tell you why after the break. Tell them friends. Well, can't read continues after this short commercial interlude. Also, Jeff Passon. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Kenny Reed in the studio. Crazy scenes across Major League Baseball last night as umpires tried to enforce the sticky substance rules, which sounds ridiculous to say and even more ridiculous to do. Most of the drama came in Philly where Max Scherzer was checked by the umpires twice in the first three innings before Philly's manager Joe Girardi asked for a third check in the fourth because he noticed Scherzer was touching his hair. Max upset. Derobed. Then stared down Girardi. Girardi, manager, calling him out. Then later on, Sergio Romo, Oakland Athletics. He turns into Steve Lyons, drops the pants. Literally, for the check, back to Scherzer and Girardi, who were clearly still fired up post-game. I have to be an absolute fool to actually use something tonight when everybody's antenna is out of, you know, everybody's antenna is, you know, so far high they look for anything. So, you know, it is what it is, whatever. Turn the page, move on. These are Manford rules. I mean, go ask him you know, what he wants to do with this. I, I, I've said enough. You know, go, those, go ask Alec Baum how he feels about 95 at his face. I, I, I don't need to say anything more about this. What did you see that prompted you to ask them to inspect uh, Scherzer? Yeah. I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Um, obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, but I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. Um, going like this, right? So it was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. Um, it was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. Kenny's done it about five times in this segment. Uh, now, another interesting note, Hannah Kaiser on this, who said uh, MLB sent a note in a memo to all teams. Please note that a manager will be subject to discipline if he makes the request in bad faith. Example, a request intended to disrupt the pitcher in a critical game situation, a routine request that is not based on observable evidence, etc. So obviously... There are more judgment calls for Major League Baseball to make. Meantime, Nationals GM Mike Rizzo. Mike Rizzo! Hey, Rizzo! Went on Washington Radio today and had this to say about Girardi. Do you think Girardi was playing games there? Of course he was. What are we, 
idiots? Of course you would. <laughs> embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Our partner, Eric It's embarrassing Bickle. for Girardi. It's embarrassing for the Phillies. It's embarrassing for baseball. Yes, he was playing games, and uh, hey, that's his right. This is about breaking Max's rhythm and uh, and frustrating him and that type of thing. And it, it didn't work. He's a con artist. He 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 got you. He got you in the in the con. So uh, <laughs> you, you believe it, and uh, that's that's just the way, that's the way it is. He's a con artist. <laughs> Just when you thought that Major League Baseball couldn't possibly add any more kerosene to the dumpster fire, they started with this sticky stuff crackdown. Joe Girardi, Max Scherzer, Sergio Romo take it to a completely different level from the prolonged stare down to a manager challenging a future Hall of Famer to the dropping of the pants that would make Steve Lyons blush. We got the full PG-13 rating because baseball has allowed the pitchers to go from 0 to 60, mm -hmm. then to 100, and then asked them to go from 100 to 0 in about a week. What the hell could go wrong? Here to help us wade through the sticky tack, the rosin, the spit, one of the best in baseball, Jeffrey Passin. Uh, Jeffrey, Jeff, what the hell? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to get rid of the spider tack <laughs> with my hands. Um, I... I this was bound to happen, was it not? Yeah. I mean, the, the the inevitable conclusion of putting this in midseason the way that it happened without any discussion with the Players Association in the offseason about doing this, like should have happened, is that you're going to have some farcical moments. Um, it, the optimist in me wants to look, guys, at the first two days of the enforcement and say, hey, nobody's gotten caught with stuff. So... Maybe the fact that Major League Baseball cracked down midseason has scared these guys straight, and we're going to get, you know, more real baseball than what we'd been seeing. But I don't blame players for being angry at this, and I especially don't blame Max Scherzer um, for what Joe Girardi did. Like, th there is a demonstrable way to see. Look at that; they were touching his hair. Uh, th there's a demonstrable <laughs> way to see if a guy is using stuff. Um, Every single pitch is tracked during the game. And if a guy's spin spikes during the game, you have reasonable cause to go and or probable cause rather to go and look at him and say something must be up here. That didn't happen with Max Scherzer last night. If Joe Girardi had any feel, he would understand that Max Scherzer was touching his head because his hair was wet. And that to get any tack on the ball right now, because you can't use any substances. He got a mix sweat and rosin, and that's all that Max Scherzer was doing. So uh, it, it was unfortunate. It was hilarious. If Max Scherzer ever stared at me that way, I would pee my pants. <laughs> like the the whole thing uh, was a mess, but it was uh, a very very major league baseball style mess. Yeah, it's a beautiful mess. I'm going to tell you why this is awesome, boys. Uh, we're all about the same vintage. I grew up on old school wrestling. Atlantic Grand Prix Wrestling back in the 80s. I used to love it because the Cuban assassin was the bad guy, right? And every week, the ref would check the Cuban assassin for a foreign object. And this is like the wrestlers back in the day. Here's the Cuban assassin. Look, he's doing something here. He's got the foreign object going. He's, he's wrestling stomping Paul Peller. And watch referee Ron Gauguin. He's going to play the, the role we, of Joe West and check we, in on Look at this. we add the VHS tape stuff at the top? That, that's or how that? I found it. Look at Ron Gauguin. Look, look, oh, this what? is like an up, check it out, 
The, this is this is happening every night. Major League Baseball. It's fantastic. Everybody loves wrestling. Therefore, everybody's in on this, right? It's a storyline. It's a it's a follow. Can I just say that referee was terrible? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it was very. It was, it was, hey, Jeff, it, we all saw it. Even Assassin was awful at this. Right, he was. It's very. your pants. Well, it, you it, don't walk around the ring with it and then stuff it in your pocket. Correct. And yeah. as 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 Gary Maxwell, the play-by-play. Play, that. Well, Ron Go. That. It was obvious. Look, I mean, oh if you're in Ron Gogan's shoes here, Jeff, do you really want to fool with a man named the Cuban Assassin? I mean, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Rongo Gan needs to go to the Charles Robinson School of Refereeing <laughs> or, the, or the Dave and Earl Hebner School of I don't know what kind of refs they're making up there in Canada, guys. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, though. Somewhere if you Jim want your, cheating, if you want your yeah. cheating refs, you got to come down to WWE. <laughs> uh, that's where they ended up. So Danny Davis. And I'm like, I get it. Like last night on Twitter, I was laughing. But if you're watching the game live and baseball already has a problem with pace of play and we know that every manager is going to do like why wouldn't if a guy is humming against you why wouldn't you ask the umpires to look at it and slow this game down even more okay so a few things and i want to like give some context because i think this is important remember we have seen ourselves over the last two days Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, and Sergio Romo, right? Those are the three. deGrom because he was the first one and because he's awesome. Scherzer because of what Girardi did. And Romo because he decided to pull his pants down in the <laughs> middle of the field. Right. So those are the three we've seen. Can you really name me any others that have gone on up to this point? And I say that not because none of us are paying attention, but because there have been dozens more of these checks around baseball and they actually feel kind of routine at this point. I mean, listen, it's not great that we're here. And hopefully over the long haul, this is the sort of thing that doesn't become standard and par for the course. But right now, I don't know if it's really disrupting the game all that much. And, you know, I've heard from some from some players saying the umpires don't feel like they want to be doing this. The players don't feel like they want to be doing it. Nobody really wants to be doing it. But it, when you're Major League Baseball and you've spent more than a half a decade ignoring this thing, the reality is you're probably going to overcorrect it on the other side. And that's what's going on here. This is an overcorrection. Without a doubt. And the only problem that I, I foresee here is there are mavericks, and we know that. There are mavericks in the umpiring union, and there are mavericks mm -hmm. like Sergio Romo who are going to make a scene out of this because that's what you do. And when we get to that, like when we get to those Mavericks and listen, I don't know. I was watching the Habs game last night. I didn't see the Romo live. I don't know who the umpire was, but he handled it really well. And yeah. he could have made a bigger scene out of that with Romo than just smiling and picking up the glove and the mm -hmm. hat off the ground. But if you're going to throw your glove and your hat on the ground to an umpire, we all know Joe West probably isn't going to smile the way this young man did. He wouldn't be able to bend down and pick the stuff <laughs> up either. <laughs> That's not nice. Uh, it's going nice. to be that way on both sides, though, isn't it? Yeah. There are going to be some umpires who are total hardos about this. Right. And as, as a player, you have a choice. You can uh, pick a fight. Or it can be like a, a marriage where you understand when the other party is angry about something. And even if you disagree with them or believe that they're wrong, uh, you understand your job in that situation 
is to go along with it because that's the role that you're playing in that particular moment. You just hope that you don't get two of those combustible personalities mm. together because that's when it could get really ugly. And that's what happened last night, honestly, uh, with the Phillies and, and with Joe Girardi and with Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer is an intense guy. And Joe Girardi, kind of a hardo. And when you combine those two things together, you get fireworks. I love the word hardo. I've never heard that before. That's yeah. good. I, good I, way of saying hard donkey without saying hard donkey. Yeah, yeah. it's like going through airport <laughs> security, man. It has to be done. Just go through it. Let the umps do their job if you got nothing to hide. Yes, and, yeah. and you know what? Here's the thing. The people who complain about TSA, everyone else in the line looks at them like, yo, bro, what are you doing? Yeah. Just like we all have to do this as well. We all have to go through it too. And I think that's one of the lessons that's going to be taken away from last night and that, you know, we should have a little bit of faith in managers around baseball saw the reaction to what Joe Girardi did and said, I'm not going to be the guy who does that. Mm. You don't want to be the person who calls for the check when the guy doesn't have anything. That's a bad look on you as a manager. And it's something that I hope major league baseball, you know, you saw the, the rule up there earlier where guys can be disciplined for essentially uh, playing gamesmanship. Um, I, I hope that's something that Major League Baseball understands that enforcing that and using that rule is the right thing to do to prevent that from happening again. Yeah, either they got to do that or take away some sort of challenge, but if you've already used your right. challenge, or maybe eject the manager from the game if he's wrong. I, I'd be down with all of those things, and you know, uh, when I was talking with people at the league about this beforehand and expressing some of my skepticism, uh, because I, I have been skeptical about this. I've been, I've been skeptical about them implementing it in the middle of the season. I've been skeptical about the idea that you're going from uh, all sticky substances to zero sticky substances while at the same time trying to develop your own sticky substance that you're going to say is okay next year. That doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. This is how they're forging forward. I said to people there, I hope you guys are open to at least looking at the rules and changing them on the fly. And the sense that I've gotten from them is that that is the case. We'll see if they put their money where their mouth is, though. Why don't they just use the wax that's kept those 87 tops cards sealed since 87 behind <laughs> you? I mean, that stuff was sticky. Oh, my favorite cards in the world. I, I just... Uh, I got to say, I, I don't like to talk about myself, uh, compliment myself, but my background kicks ass. It's great. <laughs> like, and there's the there's nothing wrong with me. it. Yeah, hey, no, rage against and, the here's the, and here's Nintendo. the thing. It's all, you guys, Tim, you especially know this. Yeah. It's all real, too. This isn't like like the, oh, God, see, I'm backward now. I put my thumb up thinking I'm pointing to the Wu-Tang. Yeah. Like, Wait you know, I'm good you with know that. that is true. And that's this is the, all the uh, stuff that I listen to. This is all stuff yeah. that I've read. That, that Mickey stuff, Mantle. I mean, that's a real Nintendo yeah. right there. I played that thing back in the 80s. That Mickey Mantle book's the beauty, too. It's it's worth it alone for the Old Timers Day uh, letter. I mean, that's a, that's oh. a hell of a book. But uh, we won't go Jane, there. Jane Levy's the best. Yeah, yeah. Great assassin, book. The Cuban assassin was indeed Puerto Rican. Thank you for doing this, man. <laughs> he was, too. <laughs> Thank you, boys. Angel Acevedo. I just looked it up on yeah, Wikipedia. Yeah, he's a great wrestler. Thanks, Passin. My buddy sat behind the Cuban assassin at the Muppet movie at a theater in New Glasgow. <laughs> of course he did. Well, what a night for the Raptors and their fans last night. They jumped to fourth in the NBA draft. Who should they take? 
Does it change their offseason plans? Bobby Webster, general manager of the team, joins us next. Kenny, thank you for bringing tape of the Cuban assassin. Ah, thanks a lot, Timmy. Anytime, buddy. <laughs> I got it. The whirling dervish that is Ken Reed has left the studio. He almost messed my hair. That's how windy it was in here. Great segment, Kenny Reed, Jeff Passan. Uh, if you missed it, uh, head back to Sportsnet now, and you can watch it back in archived form. Thank you, Sheepdogs, back here. Hour number two, Tim and Friends. GM of the Raptors, Bobby Webster, will join us in just a few minutes. Plus, Jennifer Botterill with the Habs just one win away from the Stanley Cup final. Plus, James Sharman, Craig Forrest after an unbelievable day at the Euros. Bracket set for the knockout stage. We'll get you the highlights in just a bit. But we start with hockey. That's right. Defending champion Lightning can punch their ticket back to the Stanley Cup final. With a win on Long Island tonight, Hockey Central sets you up for it. 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by the game on Sportsnet and CBC. Your playoff night starts here, kids. You know that by now. Isles try and bounce back from 8-0 thumping in Game 5, but head coach Barry Trotz is standing by his boys. Barry, a game like tonight, is this kind of the the opportunity where your team gets the chance to really show the true testament of their character and their their ability to bounce back and kind of make or break that narrative in the, up in the playoffs? I understand they don't look at that stuff, but is this really a true test of their character tonight when you look at the, the opportunity? Well, I, 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 for, for, I, I'm not quite understanding the question because I, I don't question their character. Um, and if you, if you're questioning their character, I don't, trust me, you're, you're massively wrong. This team has a lot of character. Um, this team has gone through lots of, of, of stuff over the last three years. And, you know, this is, I think, uh, game 96 that we I think tonight we will we'll play in 10 and a half months. And there's not too many times I can, I can over 96 games, I can say, you know, we didn't really have much or, you know. The, they they bring everything they have night in and night out. So this is not a, a question of character. Their character will never be an issue with me, uh, and it shouldn't be with with anybody. We'll see how they bounce back tonight. The Canadians, meanwhile, one went away like the Lightning from the Stanley Cup final. They have a chance to finish off Vegas and advance to their first Cup final since 93 tomorrow night. And it's St. Jean-Baptiste Day tomorrow, a provincial holiday in Quebec. My goodness, it should be a pretty good vibe in La Belle Province tomorrow. Here's stand-in coach Luke Richardson on the good vibes around the Habs right now. We just kind of clicked uh, halfway through that Toronto series and we just started to find our way. And I think it's very exciting. The guys uh, love playing, uh, you know, for each other. Uh, you know, we're starting to get fans back in, in the Bell Centre and hopefully that keeps growing And uh, because they're feeding off of it. And I know it's a big uh, week coming up in Quebec with St. Jean-Baptiste Day. So what a festival that would be if uh, we could get uh, more uh, fans in and excite the players and have a really good celebration uh, because that's just what it feels like right now. It feels like a, a celebration 
and we're not satisfied. We're just enjoying the ride and the run because the, the players deserve it. They're earning it. And uh, we're just, uh, as a coaching staff, uh, really enjoying watching them have the success that they deserve because they've really earned it on the ice. We'll have two and a half hours into that game tomorrow. Meanwhile, Jays, after losing five straight, have now won three in a row for the first time in over a month as they wrap up their two-game mini-series in Miami tonight. It's a battle of lefties as Robbie Ray takes the mound against rookie Trevor Rogers, who's been good. A 187 ERA leads all rookies. He'll face this lineup tonight. George Springer back at center field, hitting in the five spot. He was 0 for 4 in his return last night. Randall Gritchick is in right field batting six, while young Riley Adams back behind the plate to catch Ray, who will bat in the ninth and pitcher's spot. The Celtics are set to hire Nets assistant Ime Udoka as their next head coach. Danny Ainge left the team after their second-round playoff exit against the Nets. Brad Stevens was promoted to the front office, and Udoka got a strong recommendation from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart, who played for him at the 2019 FIBA World Cup. According to a friend of the show, Chris Haynes, Chris Paul, should be back in the lineup for Game 3 of the Suns and Clippers series tomorrow. Paul passed the final test in the league's health and safety protocols, and barring an unforeseen setback, will join the Suns, who are already up 2-0 in the series. So, Jesse, it seems as though with the Clippers down two games to none for the third straight series, Mm -hmm. this is a much tougher hill to climb unless we get some sort of news on Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I think people are kind of overlooking last night and what happened with Paul George because he's done a lot to sort of repair the playoff image that he had in the bubble and even prior to the bubble. But last night he had a chance to, chance to make it a three-point game. Yeah. And he clanked both free throws. And if he hits those two free throws, then you don't have the DeAndre Ayton situation. You can't have that play. Right. Because that's only a two-pointer. You know, two so. Yeah, and with that amount of time yeah. left... Without a doubt. All right. After a somewhat trying season, you know, the the whole uproot the whole franchise, move it to Tampa, put a practice court in a hotel, get hit with COVID like no other team and be forced to play through it with, I don't know, like six guys at a time. Missed the playoffs for the first time in eight years. It felt like the Toronto Raptors were due some karma or at least a refresher of the maybe parable about the farmer whose horse runs away and everyone says what terrible luck maybe the horse returns home with several wild horses what great luck maybe maybe the fourth overall pick is a good reminder you'll never know we'll see if Bobby Webster thinks so the general manager of the Toronto Raptors joins us now Bobby thanks for taking the time and doing this with us that was quite the the karma intro. I appreciate that. <laughs> do you do you know the maybe parable that I am speaking of? And uh, no, no, I lost you on that one. I may have lost more <laughs> than you on that one, and I apologize. It's a great. It, it tells a story about a farmer. Never mind. Uh, I heard y'all were watching in Chicago. Was there like a bit of a roar? Maybe a little fist pump or two as you guys moved from seven to four. A couple, couple uh, fist pumps, couple uh, hugs when seven was revealed, and then you know. The suspense was quickly lost at four. I think there was a brief, brief glimmer there. Maybe you could get get the top pick, but we're happy at four, as as everyone knows. And I think, to your point, listen, a, a bit of excitement after a, a tough year, and and um, you know, a bit of a silver lining for everyone. Some irony in uh, in the undrafted Freddie Van Vliet for that, and immediately setting the tone by tweeting Freddie did about top four and getting back to work. 
Yeah, no, Freddie's got so many good vibes and, and uh, obviously had an incredible run so far. So we didn't we, we thought he'd be able to bring that to us as well. But the uh, yes, the the irony was not lost on us. Uh, awesome to see undrafted at the lottery and happy about it in my very rudimentary scouting this seems like a pretty big deal in this specific draft to go from seven to four given the talent at the top am i right about what i'm saying about this top four maybe top five you're right and we're right for now but as you know once the season gets going but no in all honesty i mean i think we we think as, as much as kind of the consensus is that at the high end, it's a pretty good draft, right? And, and there's some guys up there that can really, you know, change the future and, 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 you know, really up your talent level. So we're excited there to be lucky enough for it to be this season. Um, but, you know, the work begins now and, and all the stuff we've done. And, and the lead up, um, you know, you start to refine it, start to really dig in on these guys, um, invite them down to Tampa, uh, you know, take them out to dinner, watch them work out, get your doctors to see them. Uh, so it's the it's the challenge, but it's also the fun part of, of doing this. How much does this change the options available to you guys? Not just in who you could select, of course, but if you feel like a trade could change your fortunes as well. Exactly. That's, that's the, the alternative to taking the pick is to just having a really good asset um, in the trade market. And, and we'll listen. We'll make calls. Um, you know, depending on who's there on draft night, we'll have to have a bunch of contingencies in place. Uh, but yeah, just the value of, of the number four pick, even if you just look historically, there's obviously a ton of, a ton of, you know, high level players, all-star caliber players that are available in the top five. And so if it's not for us, it's a, it's another team that's able to, to take their shot there. This franchise, the Raptors franchise has gained a, a real good reputation for drafting and developing. Um, the way the draft has changed, even at the top, uh, there's no Patrick Ewing waiting around, and I know you're probably a little bit younger than I am, so I'll say there's no, like, Tim Duncan waiting around where you know he can step in and be like a 20-10 and 10 guy, whether that's assists, rebounds, whatever the case. Um, but has the development process of the draft changed since the times that I'm talking about? It has, and I think you bring up a good point, and, and you know, fortunately we haven't been in this spot a ton, but – we, you know, we're typically later, and so we're forced to, you know, take players and have a development program. So we're definitely bringing that same mindset to this pick, even though we know we'll probably get a, a more talented player. We may get a younger player than we've had in the past. So making sure that, you know, we're bringing, you know, even at number four, a player in into a situation with the coaching staff, with the development staff, with the medical staff, with, uh, you know, off-court development staff that um, is there to kind of support the player and guide them on the way because, uh, you know, the stakes are higher, the microscope will be bigger, the lights will be brighter. Without a doubt. Bobby Webster, Raptors general manager, joining us here on Tim and Friends. Does the G League's present presence and, and the G League Ignite team change the game a little bit? Understanding, say, G League prospects versus college prospects and, say, I don't know, a, a certain 18-year-old Turkish League MVP? <laughs> uh, you know, it was a change for us, right? It was we, we never saw that caliber player play uh, in the G League, but I think it was good. Um, those are a bunch of professionals, right? As they always say, those are those are grown men. Those are professionals, you know, earning their paycheck, which is a little different than, than what happens in college. So uh, to be able to evaluate players in that setting uh, is super valuable for us um, as we as we think about projecting them in the in the NBA. Does the Raptors' success in the G League and how much you guys have used the G League feel like you have a leg up on scouting guys out of the G League? 
That's a good one. You know, I think we're familiar with the G League, right? We're familiar with the, the caliber. Uh, we're familiar with putting, you know, some of our top players there and seeing what they can do. And so I think it maybe gives you a reference point to say, hey, you know, if, if, if Player X can do this and, you know, we've kind of seen the type of players that, that succeed in the G League, uh, definitely, you know, allows us to evaluate them. And, you know, Mississauga was really close, so we got to see a ton of those games. And, um, you know, utilizing our players there has been helpful. Forgive my ignorance because the schedule is so out of whack because of the pandemic. And from when I used to cover the team regularly on the beat, I know you're at the combine, but have workouts started already? Uh, yes, but as, as you can probably imagine, the, the big workouts don't happen until after the combine, right? Everyone wants yeah. to know what happened last night. Um, but we're started, we started interviews today, so we're starting to get a, a, a handle on those kids. And they will play here uh, five on five, not necessarily the top players. And then after this, we'll really turn our attention to bringing um, the kids that we're really interested in uh, down to Tampa and, and really getting to know, you know, spending 24, 36 hours with these guys. Is there an open dialogue with Kyle Lowry about his future? There always is. Obviously, there's, there's NBA rules about what we can talk about. But, uh, yeah, text, call, talk to, talk to him, you know, as, as often as you can probably imagine. Like, has that dialogue been open since? It seemed like the reason I ask is because at the deadline, there seemed to be a lot of back and forth between the team and what most fans consider to be the greatest Raptor of all time. And I believe, like, those fans are wondering if they'll get a chance to give him a proper send-off. Is that, is that door still open? Yeah, you know, I think it was what you, what you all saw and what you all heard at the deadline is, uh, a, you know, the, the end of a long kind of, uh, interaction back and forth with him, and so we continue that, and it's not—it's nothing, nothing new, nothing different. It's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's the same. While I'm asking tough questions, why don't I ask one about Masai Ujiri? Listen, we—we've kind of been on this bandwagon about uh, the management getting signed, so you're welcome on that part. But we've—we've uh, we, we've gone without the announcement on Masai, and a lot of fans are wondering what his role in all of this is compared to last year's, and whether or not that's changed. Yeah, you know, it's it's sometimes tough to to see that perspective because we are, we're around him every day, and and there's really nothing different. And so he's here. We're evaluating people. He's asking the hard question. He's pushing us. He's he's doing all the typical Maasai things. So, um, you know, it's business as usual for us. Does all that coupled with the pandemic make this draft a little bit tougher on a couple of different ends? No, I think I, I, I've actually thought about this a bunch. The last year's draft was probably more effective because we didn't have a combine. We didn't get to meet as the kids in person. So I think we started to, you know, get a feel for how we're going to evaluate and just operate, I think, all of us, you know, kind of virtually. So I'd say now we're, we're kind of coming out of it here, right? The, the world's opening up a little bit. Um, the NBA's opening up a little bit. We're here. We're talking to kids. We're, um, you know, we're kind of live and in person. So I say, you know, hopefully we're – on the back end of this thing as, as things get back to normal. I know preparations are already starting, and I know that you guys are going back to Tampa, but are you planning on being home in Toronto next season? Yes. I think, as, as most everyone saw, the uh, you know um, reduction of the quarantine for vaccinated you know individuals was a step in the, the right direction for, I think, for us to come back. Obviously, there's a, a number of hurdles that we have to, to, to jump through. Uh, to get to that point, but no, we're uh, that's what we're planning for.
How much does that alter what you guys are doing from a draft workout perspective? Like even the basic selling of a franchise to say a prospect that may find uh, his way around 46, 47. Does it, does it alter it at all on the selling of the franchise that you got to do some of this from Tampa? You know, we talked about it as a little bit of, hey, come work out for Toronto and Tampa, right? There's probably <laughs> there's probably that uh, logistical um, kind of mind mind confusion as, if, as we're inviting kids there. But no, right. I think hopefully what we've been able to build with the franchise and our, our interaction with players here, they're, they're familiar with who we are as a team and the players. And, you know, I'm sure some of them may not even know that we played in Tampa, so we'll, we'll take that as well. <laughs> right. Listen, I know... If I said congratulations, you would say the work is just starting. So I guess I'll say congrats on having a little more leverage at four and a little celebration as you begin the work on all this. Thanks for doing it. Perfectly said. Thanks. All right. There is Bobby Webster joining us from Chicago as the NBA draft combine gets underway in the Chicagoland area. All right. Time for a break. Uh, the group stage is complete at Euro 2020. Four games today, including the conclusion of the group of death. We'll get to the highlights and break down the matchups in the knockout stage with James Sharman and Craig Forrest next. We move on, Tim and friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. It was the final day of the group stage at Euro 2020 in 2021. All right, group of death. Everything to decide, playing two games at the same time, each team could still finish anywhere from one to fourth, could be in or out. And did it ever deliver with the drama? We'll do both games same time, starting with Germany-Hungary. This is over, right? Germany is going to win this game. War Doctor! Adam Salai makes it 1-0 Hungary, and we've got a game in Munich. Meanwhile, Portugal-France, 31st minute, penalty, Portugal. Who else? Cristiano Ronaldo, goal. First to score a combined 20 goals at Euro and World Cup. It's 1-0 Portugal, but first half, Penalty uh, stoppage time, penalty kick, Kareem Benzema. We are 1-1 on a controversial penalty at the half. 47th minute. Watch this ball. Through to Benzema. Slots it for the brace. Now, offside flag went up. After review, good goal. What the hell are they doing? It's 2-1 France. Another penalty. Ronaldo adding to the stats because that's what Ronaldo does. Also, he's the best in the world. 2-2, Portugal has life again. Back to Germany, Hungary. Could Germany be out down 1-0? Not as yet. Mats Hummels, Kai Havertz, and we are tied at one apiece. Immediately after, Hungary, everyone's happy for Germany, the other way, and they get a goal. Andreas Schaefer nods it past Manuel Neuer in no man's land. Hungary up 2-1. Could Germany be done? 84th minute, Leon Goretzka, ball falls, back of the onion bag. Ties it up, both games end 2-2, so France first, Germany second, Portugal third, Hungary still hungry for the round of 16. They are out, though they gave Germany everything they could handle. There you see it shaking down. We'll get to the bracket in just a sec to tell you exactly what it means, but I got to show you what Spain did to Slovakia in Group E. They needed a win to advance to the lockout stage, or the knockout stage in English. Uh, locked out were Slovakia in this one. 
because it was unbelievable. Slovakia had two own goals. This is one of them as the keeper tried to parry it over the bar. Instead, he karch carries it into his own net. That's a volleyball player. Spain 5-0 the final. They advance to the round of 16. Maybe I should have used a Canadian player. Justin duffed it into his own net. Sweden beat Poland in the other game today to take first in the group. So here's the bracket. One side certainly looks stronger. Belgium gets Portugal. Winner plays Italy or Austria. France face Switzerland while Spain gets Croatia. Other side, Germany will face England. Winner of that, big favorites against whoever gets through in Sweden or Ukraine. Netherlands are the favorites to get out of the bottom half. They face the Czech Republic while Denmark. The storybook continues. They get Wales in a pretty damn good draw. All right. I won't be the judge of that. I am just some Canadian dude sitting on a desk talking soccer. Let's bring in the boys who know it well. From the Footy Prime podcast, I present James Sharman and another Canadian dude who just happened to play in the Premier League and is wearing a Swedish jersey. Craig Forrest, James Sharman. Let's start with Forrest. What the hell is with the Swedish jersey? It's in my heritage. What are you talking about? Norwegian, Swedish, English. Scottish and just about everywhere else. Well, well, that, well, that's not fair. You have everything to pick from. <laughs> yeah, I was going to put the German one on, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll wait till Tuesday before I stick that one to Sharms. All right. I would start yeah. with Sweden, but that's not the juiciest of the draws. Let's go to Sharman's heritage, England, Germany. I was talking to our producer, Thomas Dobby, Sharms, who you know well, and he was all worried about Germany after the second round of the group stage. You told me at the start that this wasn't the same German side that we had seen in years past. What do you think of them now as the round of 16 has a a marquee matchup, no matter what side Germany trots out there? I think they're, they're not great. They, they're conceding goals. They don't have a bona fide striker. Um, England's better than them, but Germany will beat them. (laughs) because <laughs> that's, that's the tortured past of an english it's man. so painful it's gonna happen i tell you boys it's gonna happen you know what it's gonna be a battle and in the end germany are gonna be england on tuesday because that's what germany do at big tournaments yeah and i won't say it'll be on penalties i'll just move on to forest do you like england's the better side are they not craig forest yeah they you know. And, uh, you know, going into the tournament, you know, you kind of wonder when you looked at the bracket and who they crossed over with, with Group F, number, you know, two in Group F, which was probably going to be Germany or Portugal. You thought, well, maybe they should finish second. It would be an easier road. But at the end of the day, you have to play everybody and you're going to have to beat the best. And if you're worried about playing Germany now, well, then you're not going to be in the tournament long. So to keep the momentum for England, keep winning in the in the group stage and win the group, Keep that going like that. I think it was the right thing to do. Forget about second. Just win football games. You don't play to lose. You don't play to draw. Sherman, what was the most surprising thing of the uh, of the round robin? Oh, well, you know, I, I think maybe that no one, perhaps aside from Italy, have really hit high gear yet. Now, now tournament teams, they build momentum. It's all about peaking at the right time, and that's in the knockout rounds, which is 
I guess, somewhat normal. But seeing the way France have played so far, very inconsistent, not very fluid so far. Portugal conceding goals, you know, a, a team that just, you know, hasn't done that recently, a team that can, you know, really shut the door if they have to. They've struggled at times. Um, so so no one's jumped out yet, aside from the Azuri, somewhat surprisingly, as being the team to beat so far. I think when it comes down to it, when the games get important, starting this weekend, you're going to see those teams elevate their, their game. Um, but so far, it's been a kind of a an up and down group phase. Obviously, no, no, not too many great matches. A bit of drama, yes, but no great technical performances thus far. When he says conceding goals, I think I go to the goalkeeper, and and it's funny because Portugal. I mean, they were tooth and nail just to get out of this game. When you consider what was going on in Munich at the very same time, and I thought Rui Patricio actually played pretty well in that game. Mm. Yeah, he made a good save near the end of the game. It was very, very important as well. Very experienced inter- international player and playing in many different leagues, playing in the Premier League with Wolverhampton Wanderers now. Uh, I mean, these teams remaining are just stacked with great technical individuals. And like Charm says, we haven't seen anything too great outside the Italians. I think they're technically and tactically have just absolutely been brilliant so far, but a long way to go. Portugal finishes in third in their group there. They got everybody just where they want them. That's what they did five years ago, went on to win the tournament. They actually won a game inside 90 minutes, so that's even better. So lots to play for. For me, the story, you know, with the Christian Eriksen uh, situation, um, I think with them and then having the game at home that puts them through, it's some story for them to finish second in that group in the end uh, with with three points. Uh, uh, good for them, and it'll be interesting to see how they make out in the round of 16. Yeah, it's a great storybook and an unbelievable response to what was a harrowing scene. But, Sharman, it seems like they got a pretty good match, in the, or at least a pretty good matchup in the round of 16. Yeah, you know, it's funny because both these these teams, Wales and Denmark, have the, these fan bases that just love them. No matter how they perform, you know, they could be playing awful football. The fans love them, give them a break, applaud them at half time, cheer them at full time. And of course, with Denmark in particular, given what they went through um, two weeks ago now, the entire nation, whether you're a football fan or not, is behind this team. They're a real tight knit group. But so too is Wales. So I think they're two quite evenly paced teams. Denmark is a better team. You look at their World Cup qualifying so far. They've been superb, 3-0. and They're a very good team, even without Ericsson. And, and you're seeing some, some of the younger players, um, Damsgaard in particular, step up and fill those boots superbly. So I tell you, it's going to be a good battle, that one. It really is. It's going to be a tight battle. Two teams that are really quite likable. So uh, one's going home, unfortunately. But, you know, when they do go home, the fans are welcoming them with open arms. Has your dark horse changed in this uh, in this tournament, Craig? What happened to uh, I mean, those guys, it's interesting in this tournament that the older players, I think we have a third of the captains are well into their 30s, and the youngest team in the competition, Turkey, end up taking the road home first. So, right. you know, having that balance of young and older players is certainly uh, an important uh, part of international football. And uh, it's interesting. I actually really expected Turkey to, to fare well, and they were an absolute disaster. It must be very, very disappointing for the Turkish fans. Charms, I can see you're nodding your head there, and um, I don't know if it's you're nodding your head because we can't hear Craig on the digital breakup or whether or not you agree with the Turkish take. Yeah, he was talking Turkey there. Yeah, I mean, I had them as my dark horse, right? But uh, 
you know, what, what do I know? I generally get these things wrong anyway. It, it was Turkey or it was Denmark as a dark horse, and, and Turkey really were poor every single game. Denmark has stood up. But you look at a team like Austria, for example. You know, no one was talking about Austria before this tournament. Uh, Switzerland as well, you know. Um, they, they play pretty good football. Austria are really getting better each in every game, like significantly. Um, we're seeing their, their yeah. w- one world-class player, David Alaba, he's been given a more of a freer role now as well in the last game, playing more of a, a wide role as opposed to the centre-half. So you're seeing that team really take a big step right now. But they find themselves in that weighted top half of the bracket, right? And, and I mean, this it's a really clunky tournament. 24 teams doesn't make a lot of sense. And this way of advancing doesn't make any sense and they must change this because at the moment you know Belgium Portugal Italy Austria France Switzerland Croatia Spain in one half of the bracket Sweden Ukraine England Germany Netherlands Czechs Wales Denmark I mean my word you're pretty happy right now even though England's playing Germany or vice versa you're pretty happy to be where you are Craig agree I do agree yeah yeah and and Nobody's talking about the Swedish team either. You know, they finished top of the group. I didn't expect that. And uh, they got themselves Ukraine in the next round. So both those teams have to be pretty happy with that round of 16 draw. It'll be interesting to see who comes through it. I just I fancy the Swedes to go into the quarterfinals. Sharman, uh, when I get the text from Sixero talking about Cristiano Ronaldo, do I mention that all the goals were on penalty kicks? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, okay. You have to. Hey, man, they're all goals. They all count, though, right, Tim? <laughs> they do. What do. you say? 109 goals? I mean, my word. It's just incredible, isn't it? He keeps doing it. 36 years of age. He's now tied Ali Daei as, you know, the all-time international goal-scoring record holder. The great Ali Daei, you know? So he's as, almost as good as he is. Um, Leo Messi, by the way, is playing right now in Copa America. And, you know, I've always been a Messi guy, and I always will be a Messi guy. But I tell you what, the more Ronaldo does... The more records he smashes, you know, the, the conversation gets a little bit more tricky for me because what he does at this age now, 36 years of age, is is really unparalleled, especially in that position as well. You might get an older goalkeeper, an older defender, but but doing what he's doing in that position, Craig, it's incredible. I know he's evolved his game. He's not the same dynamic presence he once was, but today you saw it. He was enjoying himself. He was out there. He was trying things. He was tracking back. He wants this as much as anyone. You know, first, it's just a matter of just watching these players that we've uh, been blessed to see for so many years, and really without too many injuries either. Just absolutely brilliant at the very, very top end, and I've just enjoyed watching it. But how long has he got left in him? He treats himself and his body really, really well. So I think Ronaldo can go for a little bit while longer, but he carries that side. He carries the country. He enjoys that presence on the field. Um, yeah, he's just been an absolutely masterful player over the years. And even, you know, you could argue that, yeah, he scored several goals against the likes of Lithuania and, you know, St. Uh, Marino and countries like this. Where Don't say Messi Malta. Doesn't get, Don't Messi say Malta. Doesn't get those. So anyway. <laughs> Don't say Malta is what I was trying to get in there. Don't say Malta. <laughs> I am a true number 10 guy. I, I am a messy guy through and through. I gave up years ago. I think Ronaldo is the best player on planet Earth, and he is now only 77 goals behind Christine Sinclair for the all-time record. <laughs> Boys, uh, really appreciate you dropping by and doing this. Let's do it again soon, and we'll get uh, for some Rogers Ignite uh, internet so that we can make sure that we hear it. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, James. I think Craig finally froze. All right. (laughs)
They've been underdogs the entire way, but the Habs are now one win away from the Stanley. I feel like we need to soak in what we saw in Euro 2020 and 2021. If you have any comments, hit us up at Tim and Friends. But as always, we roll along quickly. Jen Botterill next. We'll talk Habs, Golden Knights, and maybe a little Islanders Lightning next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back. This is Tim and Friends. The Lightning try and close out the Islanders tonight and get back to the cup final. Low momentum from their 8-0 winning game five carry over. Find out tonight. Sportsnet CBC Hockey Central gets you set at 7.30 Eastern. And here to help me break it on down, our next guest won, I don't know, like 17 gold medals for Canada, including three Olympic golds. She's a Harvard graduate. As if that weren't enough, she also knows a thing or two about the Islanders from her time spent as an analyst with the MSG Networks from Hockey Night in Canada. We always love when Jennifer Botterill joins us. Jen, thank you for being a friend and bringing that entire resume to this conversation. Well, it's a pleasure. It's always great to see you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Uh, good to see you, too. I mentioned you spent time on Long Island. The Islanders got hammered. Eight Cobb, game five, no doubt about it. Given what you know about Barry Trott's team and certainly the crowd at Nassau County Coliseum, I can't imagine you expect them to go out quietly tonight. Right. They, they are a team that has the potential to respond. And you mentioned Barry Trotz and the, the roster, all of the players have really collectively bought into his philosophy. And he's a coach who remains poised uh, and calm. So it's not a situation where they're going to overreact. Do they understand that there is a, a lot at stake in game six? Absolutely. Uh, but many of the comments from the players this morning were that they were looking forward to playing uh, in front of their crowd. They do have amazing fans. So the fans are going to take their role very seriously as well, knowing that they need to bring uh, the energy for the Islanders here in Game 6. Okay, so the, the subplot to all this, and we know this, is that the Tampa Bay Lightning were the better team all along. They asserted themselves in Game 5. Are you signing up to this subplot? Well, kind of. Is there a kind of here? Well, you know what? Tampa Bay, they demonstrated that they are an incredible team. And you saw in game five what they are potentially capable of. I mean, eight goals. I mean, it was a complete blowout. And you got that sense from the first two minutes of the game. And you see some of their, their offense, their skill, uh, the excitement they showed. But two minutes into the game, they were flying out of their zone. It wasn't just one or two players. They had a number of odd man rushes yeah. uh, right from the puck drop. And so you got this sense that they were out with this sense of, of determination. So that combined with the fact that Tampa Bay did get a few lucky bounces. They got three power play goals. And so that was the Islanders' uh, um, take on it to say, you know what, this potentially could have been a different game. Do they know that they need to play very differently um, in game six if they want to slow down Tampa Bay? Absolutely. Uh, but that's the key. I mean, the start has been so crucial in this series. And you just, you can't give the Tampa Bay Lightning that sort of momentum because they get all of their players rolling. I mean, it's a team that's that's been known for many years in terms of that offensive talent. It's funny that you bring that up because we're all on information overload right now, or at least I am trying to cover the Euros and the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs. And I remembered back as soon as you said that the odd man rushes. And 
I saw this tweet from Mike Kelly that I'm just going to read here. Mm -hmm. But they had more rush chances in the first period of that game than they had had all series long. Eight odd man rushes double their game average in the playoffs. Like, that could be a one-off, or it also could be what they're capable of, right? Well, exactly. And you saw in that game that they really, they literally got their stride. Yeah. And you, I, it was almost uh, that you felt in awe watching that first period because in every situation, it wasn't as though it was a second thought. It was there, there was no hesitation from any of their players. Anytime there was a turnover or they had the chance to break out, it was so crisp and it was so fast. And it was just that mentality from all skaters on the ice to get involved in every single opportunity. I mean, that's just that has to be a priority for the Islanders. They know they need to be disciplined. They can't let Tampa Bay get on the power yeah. play. But to find a way to slow them down a bit and not give them that time and space in the neutral zone uh, because they're too dangerous on that rush. Yeah, it's almost like what they got to do to be successful also puts them in line to put that power play to work for Tampa. And if they do that, it's almost jammed done. Well, and it's a fine line for the yeah. Islanders, right? They know that they want to play good defense. They have a number of players, including their identity, identity line, that fourth line that Trotz loves to start for every game, for every period to, to set that tone. And, and it can be a, a, a sort of a fine line for them in terms of playing physical and making sure that you put Tampa Bay on their heels but not crossing that line so that you end up in the penalty box. But that will be something that they'll need to monitor very closely in Game 6. Okay, what is the Tampa stat about the last couple playoffs being 12-0 and 0 after a loss tell you about them? Well, you know, this was something that John Cooper had um, acknowledged, you know, leading into Game 5, that with all of the high-end talent, with all of the skill on his team, that this is a group, these are players uh, for the Lightning that want to be um, the best. And when they come off a disappointing result or they don't get the win in a previous game, he did give these players a lot of credit. And he probably deserves a lot of credit too in terms of the environment that he creates for these players, but that they come back with this sense of resolve. And <laughs> certainly, I mean, game five was an indication of that that they came back with an 8 nothing victory. Uh, before I let you go, is there a goaltending controversy in Las Vegas? A controversy? I don't know. Robin Leonard's having fun with it, isn't he? <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I, they, they've got, uh, you know, these guys that have come through. I mean, Leonard got the win for them, but Fleury, he's such a well-liked guy, you know, got them to this point in the playoffs. And I think these are two personalities that support each other really well and have the capacity to handle this dynamic. Without a doubt, but who do you start in Game 6? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the question. I mean... Fleury has has been the one that's gotten to you the, uh, gotten you to this point in, in the playoffs. So I mean, Leonard came in, but he's still not a. Uh, I mean, in terms of how many games he's played in the last 45 days, uh, you know, I think you've got to go with with the guy that that made you uh, that got you to this point. I, I feel like, and I said this to Jesse after the opening segment. I feel like I had so many angles on the Montreal Canadiens that it turned into verbal diarrhea and I just spit a bunch of them out because I'm so impressed with what they're doing right now whether it's the penalty kill whether it's all four lines whether it's Carey Price and all the stats that come with when you give him goal support what's the most impressive part of this Montreal Canadiens run for you? 
As you mentioned, Tim, there are a, a few things. Uh, I think the ones that are at the top of the list for me would be, I mean, prices, composure. That any time Vegas would get what we would consider a high-quality chance, he's making these saves with with such poise and composure and calmness, and he's just exuding confidence. And so that you know, certainly is contagious for the rest of his team. I think the second element that's just stood out for me so much is, is the combination between experience and, and youth. And you've had these guys step up. Perry was great, Stahl was great, and then you had Caulfield and Suzuki and Kotkinemi who were also phenomenal. Um, and so when you have that kind of balance um, and depth, um, you know, Deneau's played great defense. You could go on throughout the roster, but I think the combination of, of Price's performance along with, you know, veteran guys playing well and, and young guys coming up and embracing this opportunity, uh, they've put themselves in, in a pretty impressive place. How the hell do you win 17 gold medals, Jen? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's quite 17, I but... Got uh, it off of Hockey Canada. Like, might it have been for, like, team, like, your provincial team yes. growing up? Is that how you get to 17? Because that's unfathomable to me. Like, uh, I won I won a grade 9 tournament in basketball, and we won our Metro Championships in volleyball. Shout out Annunciation. 17! Well, Tim, you know what I'll say? I'll steal a line from my parents. Okay. Uh, you should be really proud of yourself. That's what they told me after Vancouver 2010. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, you should be proud of yourself for your great nine accomplishments too. Can can one time when Ken Reed comes on here with his trophy, can you yes. just walk in with 17 gold medals? That's a deal. That's a deal. I think that would be awesome. Thanks for doing this as always, Jen. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Uh, there is Jen Botterill down at uh, Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, they are coming away at 7.30 Eastern time before what could be the closeout game. Lightning Islanders from Long Island. Just tune in to see what that barn will look like when it starts. Before we go to break, I uh, got a tweet during that segment with Jen Botterill uh, from a Twitter handle that I can't personally pronounce. But it goes like this. Tim McAuliffe, love you, man, but that scruffy face is not for you. Jesse. Wow. Uh, I haven't had time really to shave. I've said this to my – I told my daughter – Remind me when I get home today, make sure to shave, because I think I'm, I'm growing out the fro a little bit, too. Uh, <laughs> yes or no on the... What, what are you laughing at? No, I'm not saying anything. No, I, I chuckle. Did you hear anything, Seth? Can we put up a poll? I, McAuliffe I, scruff. Like, I thought it was okay. I literally don't have time to shave. Sebi says it's okay. You're all right? Well, I'm totally fine with it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But you got haters. That's how you know you made it. When you have hater, yeah. no, he says, Love you, man. Oh, okay, sorry. And then says, Scruffy. I was so thing. blindsided by the insult. I was like, Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me know. We'll put it up on the poll. Do I need to shave? McAuliffe shave, yes or no? It's a no for me. Time for one last break. We'll do last call with Jesse next here on Tim and Friends. Maybe a clean shave in Tim and Friends tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to have to now, too. It hurts, Viestrama 77. Last call, the poll is up. Whatever the poll says, by the end of the show, I'm going to do Jesse Rubinoff. On, live on TV? No, not live on TV. At home, <laughs> in my shower. Uh, Ed, Which I, I could put Ed. live on TV if you want. You know what I'm talking about, <laughs> Jesse Rubinoff? Uh, I think it's Ed. Ed uh, yeah, okay. Uh, he says, hey, Tim, those $400 J1s make up for the scruff. Nice drip, homie. Yeah, well, if you get them at the right time, they don't turn into four hundred dollar. Ah, yeah, I got it. Okay. All right, let's do last call. I don't nice know what he's talking. I knew about that was. I was actually waiting for that to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, all right. 
Nice. By the way, nice people are sad. people also ripping the running shoes with suit look. Why? I don't know. It's 2021. Yeah. You can literally do whatever you want with your fashion. Love it. All right, let's do uh, last call. It was a good Zoom, though. Very well done, Seth. Sure. Uh, baseball's number one ranked prospect, Wander Franco, made his Major League debut last night for the Rays, going two for four with a home run, a double, and three RBIs. Yeah, pretty good, yeah. He's <laughs> just lounging like it's uh, <laughs> kid of the day here. Do the Franco's show. father was at the game, and his reaction to his son's home run was absolutely priceless. <laughs> Shades of uh, Alec Manoa's mom in yes. his there. That was yes. awesome. Uh, how do you react when your son hits a home run in Little League? The exact same way. <laughs> Anytime my kids do it, I, I actually, like, you'll see stoic. Yeah. But inside, I'm doing that. Like, if you got the camera into my brain, that's exactly, like, the Homer Simpson camera into the brain, that's what I'm doing. So just, why, don't you, why don't you just let loose? Why don't you just do it? Yeah, I just... I don't want to be that guy. All right. Fair enough. Just in case someone has a camera. Look at this. Canada soccer unveiled the women's national team roster for the Tokyo Olympic Games today. Christine Sinclair, who will be participating in her fourth Olympics, is one of the 12 players returning from Rio. Goalkeeper Kaylin Sheridan was an alternate on the 2016 squad, and she had an emotional reaction when she got the call from Coach Bev Priestman today while riding the bus with her Gotham FC teammates. That is so what it's all about. Like this video and the video we just watched yeah. are why we love sports. That is that both those things. I'm taking yeah. my feet off of the desk because both those here. things are exactly why I love sports. 100. That is so awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad that we saw that. Amazing. Uh, let's go to the Nats and Phillies. Uh, eventful series between the Nats and Phillies. After last night's drama with Max Scherzer and Joe Girardi, obviously, the Nationals won 13-12 today. And they also won the battle on social media. After Kyle Schwarber hit a three-run homer to mm -hmm. tie the game at five, the Nationals account tweeted, game-tying three-pointers in Philly this year. Ben Simmons, zero. Kyle Schwarber, one. Timmy, <laughs> oh, is this doctor. too soon for the disrespect? Oh, Doc, I think... More Philly fans are pissed off at Ben Simmons than they are worried about what Kyle Schwarber does. So I think it might actually go over well yeah. in Philadelphia <laughs> right now. But that is, that, I mean, 
<laughs> I haven't been told one way or another if Joe Girardi checked Kyle Schwarber's bat to see if it was corked. No. <laughs> Uh, should McAuliffe shave at Tim and Friends, uh, 500 votes? Noes have it, 64%. See, I'm keeping the stubble. Sorry, Virgin it's my 77. I'm going to try and grow it out too now. Good job as yeah. always. You got it on your head. What do you got to worry about? Okay, fine. I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> See you guys.